the leading tweets, good, bad, or indifferent. And oh yeah, a national emergency of sorts. We're gonna deep dive on emerging patterns of the news cycle and a look out on the horizon for what the world will face next week. All this and more on Three C's in a Pod. Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are John Schofield and Chris Savello. It's good to have everyone at the table. Friends, feel free to get more of the provision conversation out in the Twitter sphere and let us know your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. We look forward to hearing from you. We're back with three season a pod, and we begin this week with a look back in our rearview mirror where we take on a few topics that appeared in our nation's headlines. There's plenty to choose from. So let's go around the table, and Chris, we'll start with you. So I want to talk about Twitter deletes. And, and what I mean by that is, is deleting either tweets in the moment because you realize that you said something that you didn't want to uh, or shortly after because something that you said was called to your attention or even, you know, old tweets that are months or years old. Uh, and Jack, we hope you're listening. Right. Um, and so, you know, the question was uh, really for the listeners, have you ever tweeted something that you immediately regretted or worse, you know, woken up in a cold sweat uh, over the tweet you sent five years ago? Ariana Grande, Rob Lowe, the Alabama football program and the United States Navy. Uh, what do all of these brands have in common? Well, they all posted and then deleted, uh, I guess, what they would consider an ill-advised tweet over the last two weeks. It seems like your Twitter timeline is very well-rounded. I just want to say that right now. Hey, I thought you. you were going to say that Alabama lost a football recruit to the Navy, but I get it now. It's a deleted <laughs> tweet. All four of them um, had, you know, they were for different reasons. Uh, Alabama used a contraction incorrectly. Uh, the Navy shared something that they uh, realized later that they shouldn't have shared. Ariana Grande connected with someone in the Grammys that she shouldn't have uh, endorsed or connected with. Rob Lowe, I think we would agree, said something stupid. So um, what, what are your thoughts on uh, d deleting? Uh, d does the situation dictate or, hey, if you tweet something and you, you know, 20 seconds later realize, oh, shit, I shouldn't have said that, you, you know, do you delete it or does that make it worse? I, I think your profile, who you are, really dictates how that goes. Like, like whether you're in the government world and you're afraid that, the, that certain government officials are going to see what your tweets say or you're a public figure like Ariana Grande or Rob Lowe and whether you're going to lose that next role because a director didn't like what you tweeted. It's tough. I'm of the opinion that, and this is going to sound like a total cop-out, that it's a case-by-case. Case. There's really a great deal of self-governance that occurs with Twitter. Chris, you mentioned Ariana Grande. I'm thinking in sort of pop culture, the uh, folks who went after uh, Jennifer Lopez for her Grammy performance. People are very quick to say things on Twitter um, before news, uh, or at least uh, factual news are are presented. Things things are are, are put forth as, as factual. It pains me because I do this myself. You have to stop for a moment and think about uh, what it is that you're going to put out there, what you're going to share with the universe. Because I feel like there's just a million people out there ready to eviscerate your your personality or, or your just your your Twitter existence. 
Well, that doesn't exist, that, that dynamic of people taking a moment. That's the whole, that's why Twitter became popular. It allows for an instant interface and allows for this at the time when Twitter was first hatched, when it was in its nascent stages, mm-hmm. uh, that it gave everyone this very human interface with, with feelings, with happenings, with locations, with what I'm doing it allowed for these walls to be broken down between politicians and celebrities and normal people like us. No one is taking that second that you referenced, Bashan. No one's saying, hey, let me see if I should do some Watergate-like Woodward and Bernstein investigative journalism before I pop off here. That doesn't exist. I guess I, I recognize it in myself, and I feel that on the occasions when I jump out there too quickly, and make a comment, um, and I don't have all the facts, and then I come to find out uh, 24 hours, 48 hours later that I was burned. I, you know, I feel bad about it. I feel because... Um, but do you delete the tweet? <laughs> no, no, I, I you had that pregnant pause. I had to think for a second. Um, in some cases, maybe I have deleted the tweet, but in other cases, I guess I use it for a lesson to myself, but I'm also, I, I'm just not that popular. So, but for some people, <laughs> I'm just this, like, I'm, I'm out there shouting to myself. Uh, no one's paying attention. Let's think about the different reasons that, you know, people are on Twitter. So John, you started off with, you know, sort of the casual join the conversation tweeter, right? I mean, you put stuff out, yeah. not, not really a big deal if you misspell something. Um, I mean, unless it's really egregious, um, you're probably not going to be recognized uh, for, for what you say on Twitter now kind of take it up to another level and say, Hey, I'm a organization like Alabama football or the United States Navy, where that's an official platform in which I'm sharing information or trying to not only just be part of the conversation, but I'm trying to influence how people think about me a little bit of different, um, little bit of different stakes at, at, at that level. Now take it up um, an, another level and you're at the celebrity level and you're, you know, the Ariana Grande and Rob Lowe level where they're not, it's not about being part of the conversation. I mean, anything they put out drives the conversation and any mistake um, probably drives that conversation even more. And then I would say, take it up one more level at the journalism level um, where it's just hot take central, completely different process altogether. And all of this is trying to coexist in the, on the same platform, in the same environment. You know, we talked about it in our first podcast. I mean, it, it can be a recipe for disaster. So um, one, I think it's important to remind folks, hey, really know. So if you're at the business level or if you're at the organization or personal brand level, really understand why you're on Twitter. If you're just on there to join the conversation, I'd say maybe go out and get a pet or two <laughs> and, and confer with them <laughs> a lot safer. Um, and if you're on there to uh, put out information and to reinforce your brand, stay really true to that purpose. And then if you make a mistake, man, I think you really have to think through, okay, is, um, is it better to let that tweet exist and then simply you know apologize or provide context to it or do you take it down? I really think you have to think this whole process through. So a day after the Villanova Wildcats win their second national basketball title in three years, the MVP of that game, right. Dante DiVincenzo, came out of nowhere. I, he, was a, he was a very good recruit basketball player in one of the smallest states in the Union, Delaware. Really an unknown guy. Uh, and meteorically rose to the top of the game and then all of a sudden went from 
unknown basketball player from Delaware to uh, Final Four MVP, national champion, and in the conversation to be an NBA lottery pick in about four years. But what Dante DiVincenzo did is he went full thermonuclear on the whole thing. Like he, he said, hey, that was me four years ago, and not only am I deleting the tweet, I'm deleting Twitter. I'm not on Twitter anymore, and this is where I'm kind of driving this conversation in the end. And we were talking about it before the pod started. Maybe that's where this goes. Maybe that's where social media eventually goes with the credibility issues of, of data mining from Facebook with all of the, with all of the, the rehash and, and the criticism that comes to people because of their tweets. Maybe this thing comes full circle and all of a sudden people are just going dark uh, and saying that being in that conversation isn't worth it. It's kind of interesting to see. I will say uh, one individual that's not really being quiet at all is Representative Omar out of Minnesota. Uh, her two tweets in reference to pro, pro-Israel lobby um, APAC uh, got a lot of attention this week. The tweet was, uh, it seemed as if a, a message went out from the GOP that says, hey, we're going to give a wholesale uh, negative reaction uh, to, to her tweet. Uh, everyone calling for, for uh, from the president on down, calling for her resignation from Congress uh, and the Foreign Relations, or at least the, the Foreign Relations Committee. But to our conversation, her tweet remains up on her page. Uh, one individual, um, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, uh, who came under fire for a tweet uh, in his past that singled out George Soros, uh, Steyer, and... Um, and Mr. Bloomberg uh, about not being able, you know, stopping them from paying for uh, for an election. Uh, all of those uh, individuals who were Jewish, uh, whereas Representative Omar came under scrutiny for um, uh, anti uh, anti Semitic uh, statements. Uh, McCarthy did as well, and he took his tweet down. Now we can, you know, you can. The argument goes back and forth about whether or not, you know, was it anti Semitic. Uh, but like I said she she decided to leave her tweet up there and and that's where you can get into discussion in the value of leaving a tweet up or actually um actually deleting the tweet uh, you know do you feel guilty for for leaving a tweet up there or is there something to learn from it and so it's for me very uh interesting uh eye opening to see um the contrast that's a great example that, that you gave, look, looking at the two, uh, the congresswoman and then the uh, minority leader. Um, in the case of the congresswoman, I, I think the tweet is part of a brand. I mean, um, and I think leaving it up shows a certain amount of irreverence that she has for those critics. And so for her, you, you know, standing by controversial uh, statements, even if they are, uh, if, if they come under fire and even if they are, you know, hurtful to some and uh, seen as objectionable by, by others, you know, leaving that up kind of shows who she, who she is. I think in the case of, uh, of minority leader McCarthy taking it down, it kind of follows his brand. Hey, I mm-hmm. didn't mean to do this. I didn't want to go this far. I wanted to poke at it, but uh, no, I don't, I don't want to stand by this, uh, th- this comment. So I'm going to take it down. As we've talked about on previous shows, have a plan for Twitter. And my reason for bringing these up, this up in the um, in this rearview uh, session was also think through how you're going to take things down. And if you make a mistake, given the hypersensitivity and the 
um, you know, the fact that nothing is really ever a hundred percent deleted. Exactly. Think about what you're going to do if you make a mistake, how you're going to handle it long before you ever make that mistake. Indeed. Amazing advice. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, as always a in-depth and crystal clear 2020 view back on the week. Uh, we'll be back with deep dive. You're listening to three season a pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. And we're back on Three Season a Pod. It's time for Deep Dive. You may not have noticed it, folks, but most of what we spoke about here last week has drifted off into the sunset in terms of hot news takes. Whether it's Virginia politics or the State of the Union, we've just simply moved on. So it asks the question, what does that tell us about ourselves and our collective attention span? Chris, why don't you take it away? So we've talked about this a couple of times. We've talked about issue fatigue or the length of the news cycle. I think it deserves to talk about one more time in the context of what happened in Virginia, and especially on the heels of uh, your conversation last week about uh, crisis communication. But we were just talking off air. I mean, it, it was two Fridays ago that none of us thought that Northam would make it through the weekend. Then was the crazy uh, press conference. Then there was news about uh, the lieutenant governor, then news about the attorney general, uh, then news about other members of the legislature. And then here we are two weeks into this. And I'm guessing that they're going to make it through maybe all of them. Uh, I mean, unless charges are filed against the lieutenant governor. Uh, Bash thoughts. It pains me to have to to have to talk about this because you have to you have to face the reality uh, of, of what exactly we're looking at, right? So you have the governor uh, Ralph Northam, you have the lieutenant governor uh, Justin Fairfax, and then you have the attorney general uh, Mark Herring. So that's that's the trifecta that we're talking about here, and you could not have scripted this um, any. I, I don't want to say any better, but just any worse. And the fact that one right after the other, you have one gentleman in the issue of blackface and the Ku Klux Klan um, outfit, a lieutenant governor facing now two sexual assault charges, and third, an admission uh, from your attorney general that, hey, look, you know, back when I was in college, I dressed up in blackface as I was uh, dancing to Curtis Blow, because these are the breaks. Okay, I, <laughs> I, I, I digress. But listen, in 2019, to have to deal with the vast, the vast landscape of racial discrimination, racial disparities, um, do we even want to get into the, the, the Colin Kaepernick um, news today? So, um, so but, but these three gentlemen, it looks like, have um, gotten over, uh, made it through the, the, the rising tide here. Uh, and just by waiting it out. And this is not the first time that we've seen this. We're seeing it more and more. It's a more frequent occurrence. And people just getting away with it because, oh, if I just let time pass, then people will forget about it. The vast majority of people. I was talking with a, I was talking with a crisis communications author yesterday. And he was saying that at no, no point would that last in the corporate world. No way would that, would that stand. And I was like, mm, I don't know what you're talking about. Between Gucci last week with a blackface sweater um, and Heineken, Dove, Starbucks, you know, pick pick the, the entity out there. 
they, they've done something that, that's been uh, racially discriminatory um, and just issued a policy statement, uh, we're going to do better the next time. As opposed to the 70s and 80s and even 90s when, when people had more time to devote to the catastrophe or to the controversy or to the, the hand-wringing about a certain issue, what a politician said or what a celebrity did or what a sports figure did or did not do, in this interconnected world, in, in this age of social media and the availability of Game of Thrones or Handmaid's Tale on binge watching availability that you just have people who are not necessarily uninvolved and unmoved by the social dynamics in their, in their world, but they just have other things that they can do. Uh, they're worried about paying their mortgage and, and they're worried about uh, what's coming on TV or what they can binge watch that weekend. And I think the second thing is, I don't know if any of these dynamics take place if there isn't a guy named Donald J. Trump out there. And, and if I could transplant myself into any of the, the war rooms of Ralph Northam or Justin Fairfax or really anyone out there who's going through a controversy, that one of the pieces of advice, and I've given this advice in my current state of employment, I've given this advice where I've said, hey, listen, this might be a bad story today, but I'm telling you right now that Donald Trump is going to tweet something in a couple of days that's going to make everyone forget all about this. And, and that's, that's where I really think that a lot of these guys are in the, in the Virginia trio, as I like to call them. Like Ralph Northam could have just come out and shut up and, and waited for the storm to pass. He actually tried on several occasions to make it worse. Like, I kid you not, his wife, if she wasn't there, he's gone because he would have absolutely gone out there and moonwalked and every single person on the planet would have been like, yeah, bro, you're gone. Then like a week later, he gave the incredibly dumb interview where he, where he said, hey, I think the people need to heal and who better to heal people than a doctor? I'm a doctor. Like, oh my God, uh, come on. Um, so he actually, let's not, let's not forget conflating slavery with indentured servitude. He did anything but hunker down and stay quiet. And I think he's going to survive. And I can't believe that he, that he is. And, and it got me thinking, so I'm doing this podcast right now from Hawaii, which is tough. Hashtag the struggle is real. Um, but on the 10 hour flight from Houston to Honolulu, I watched a movie called Chappaquiddick and always been a history nerd. Love the whole aura of the Kennedys, the, the bad luck of Camelot, you know, use whatever catchphrase you want for the Kennedys. But I've always been really, really interested in Kennedy lore. And I've always known about the Chappaquiddick incident, which happened in mid-July of 1969 when Ted Kennedy had a young staffer from his brother's ill-fated 1968 uh, presidential campaign, Mary Jo Kopechny, in a car with him late at night out of Martha's Vineyard. They're crossing the Chappaquiddick Bridge, drives off the bridge. He lives, she dies. Goes into this whole thing of the PA campaign that Ted Kennedy and the rest of his group did for one week to save him from Chappaquiddick. So what do they do? They circle the wagons and they do this big PA campaign to save him. And sure enough, just like I've always said on this podcast, the really good friend of a PA controversy out there is a bigger story out there sucking up all the bandwidth. Well, the very next day after Ted Kennedy drove Mary Jo Kopechny to her death, 
Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. And that's what they used. They got away with it. And in the course of a week, America's attention is completely centered on the moon landing. He gave an incredibly bad press conference exactly a week after the incident. And he said, hey, you know what? I'm not going to resign, but I'm going to go ahead and leave it in the hands of my voters, my constituents in Massachusetts. You tell me what I should do. I represent you. I'm sorry. I pled guilty to leaving the scene of an accident. Um, I basically got away with murder. um, And so I'm really sorry. You guys tell me what to do. And the movie ends with just man on the street interviews with Massachusetts people. And again, his last name's Kennedy. It's Massachusetts. Uh, It's the late seventies or late sixties. What do you think every single interview and these man on the street interviews with, uh, with Massachusetts citizens, what were they like after that press conference? They were all like, yep, I'd vote for him again. Way to go, Teddy. You're, you're the best. And he survived it. And, And that's what we're seeing right now in Virginia with people just waiting it out to survive certain controversies because their lunar landing, and this is a stretch, you guys can criticize me for this, but their lunar landing, taking up the other bandwidth in the news cycle, is a guy named Donald J. Trump. That's a great historic example and uh, a, a great parallel between what Bashan talked about with what's going on in Virginia and then, you, you know, go back to 1969. I, I guess what, what I'm struck with is the, the difference in goals, right? Uh, the bulk of our experience is in um, military public relations or public affairs. And so our goal typically has been trust and confidence, trust and confidence of the American people, trust and confidence of the chain of command, you know, faith in the institution. That's very different than when you look in the political world and the goal really is stick around, right? If there is a a crisis of confidence among the the military, you tend to think in terms of trust and confidence. Hey, can we weather this to keep the trust and confidence? And that becomes a lot harder to weather because one, trust and confidence is a lot harder to measure and there's a lot of perception uh, that, that goes into that. When you're dealing with politicians, whether it's in the case of Virginia or whether it's in the case of uh, Ted Kennedy, time definitely is on your side. Really, your metric is, uh, I won't say it's not trust and confidence, but really the, the, the metric that you're looking at or the yardstick that you're looking at is time to the next election. And if you can get through the news cycle, if you can get through people calling for your head and you, you know there's something else out there that takes their attention, you can kind of make it through that Im- immediate call and then you can you know start to work on trust and confidence or, or faith in your ability after the fact. But Sean, you mentioned um, you know in the business world, you've got a tangible um, metric of that trust and confidence in the stock price or, or in consumer confidence. And, and so it's a lot harder for a CEO uh, or a corporate officer to just kind of wait it out as the stock price is falling. Those, uh, those costs for your head continue. Bash, thoughts? History may not repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. And right now, 58% of Black people in the state of Virginia really could care less about what happened in Chappaquiddick. Um, that they are okay with Governor Northam remaining in office baffles baffles me uh, to no end because I just think it sets a dangerous precedence. Why would any young voter um, who's going to be of voting age come 
the next election align themselves with the Democratic Party if if this is what they're willing to stand for. Again, I, I really don't have the words for it. This is a hard issue, and it, and it's why um, communicators play an important role in the decision making their bosses and of uh, organizations when it comes to crisis of character or crisis of brand. Um, because there are lots of, as we just talked about, there are lots of variables that go into this, this calculus. Um, and you kind of have to work through each individual one, recognize the uniqueness, and then be able to make uh, quick decisions, as we talked about last week. You, you could have a whole class on this. I, I'd love to teach a class where you take all of these examples and you take them case by case. You could teach her that an elite university like Villanova, for, for example, and, and, and talk about these because what I keep thinking about as we go through these political controversies, and, and I know that we're running out of time on this segment, but the person, I don't know why I keep thinking of him on this, the person I keep thinking about is David Petraeus. And, and thinking about you know, the, the meteoric rising star, he was military hero, respected strategist, West Point graduate, uh, scholar, um, warrior. He, he was everything, you know, and, and not, not dissimilar to what the rising star was for Ted Kennedy in 1969. Um, and, and then looking at his transgressions and his crimes, looking at those now in this current framework of what's going on in the political sphere of blackface of what Donald Trump has almost admitted to doing now with Stormy Daniels or with the play with the playmate um, in the payoffs and everything else. And you think of how that person got graded and evaluated and judged and then cast off um, for those transgressions and his decision to do that, his decision to, to resign and walk away and not do that weighted out thing um, is, is interesting because what if he did? What if he waited it out? Um, what, if, what if what happened to him happened right now in this current environment in 2019? It's just, it's very interesting fodder and I know that we can fill up hours with this. I just wanted to bring that up as something to stir thought as we go forward. Certainly. Uh, salient points, one and all, gentlemen. We're going to wrap up, deep dive, and move on to our next segment after the break. You're listening to Three C's in a Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Welcome back to Three C's with Provision Advisors. Well, folks, if you can stand it, let's take a look at what we're going to see next week on On the Horizon. The president announced uh, his uh, decision to you know, declare an emergency. And so very interested to see what this does to really just the state of everything here in D.C. Um, you know, wh what type of money does it take from DOD? How does it affect the DOD budget? How does it affect the, the budget hearings? And, you know, does it add uh, more space between President Trump and the Democrats on the Hill when it comes to getting other business done? I think one of the more interesting things to come out of that press conference that, well, 
it took them one, it took them 15 minutes to get to the news uh, of the emergency. And aside from using the term rocket ships was the, the fact that he made the statement and we're seeing this now in the news that he, he said, and quote, I didn't need to do this. So yeah, I think it will be interesting to see. Is anyone else surprised by any of this anymore? Like it, it again, to our, to the points we were just making in the last segment, it's really just one of those things where, Bashan, you were talking about the um, how African American voters are just like, well, yeah, we've seen this before with Northam, and, and for every one of him, there are a bunch more. Let's just keep our heads down. I almost think that there's there's a great many people out there just saying, well, this is the next chapter. I don't know how long this book is. I hope it's not like the Iliad or the Odyssey. Um, <laughs> yeah, that 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 there are going to be a lot of chapters of this, but. The second you think you've seen it all, you see like a next iteration that continues to absolutely baffle you, and and I'm, and and I'm baffled. Yeah, I will say that through the looking glass is not a comfortable place to be. And on that note, uh, we don't know it yet; it hasn't been disclosed. And through an NDA uh, agreement, I don't think any of us will ever know. But Colin Kaepernick uh, and the NFL have uh, an agreement. Uh, on a settlement. So um, I guess that's two years, two full seasons uh, out of the NFL uh, for Colin Kaepernick. Uh, but today marks the um, the settlement, uh, the agreed on settlement between he and Eric Reed, by the way. Uh, so gentlemen, what do you think? What does that mean? As I was thinking about this topic, you, you know, I, I did have questions. I mean, you know, what happens next? Is this uh does Kaepernick take whatever money um, he has and kind of, you know, fades off into the sunset? Does he ratchet up the calls for social justice? Does he come back to the NFL? Why didn't the NFL do this two years ago? I, I mean, I really just don't, I mean, this, I, I am honestly baffled that they settled. And I, I hope that enterprising ESPN and, you know, other sports reporters kind of pull on this over the next week. Well, it's a good week to pull on it, right? Um, I, I do hope that they actually dig deep down um, and, and say, hey, what, what does this actually mean? What does it mean for, for possible culpability or NFL fault in this whole thing? Um, I have a great many personal beliefs on this. Um, and, and I'm glad that Cap and Eric Reed got at least something out of this, particularly Kaepernick, who I thought was blackballed uh, for something that... Again, as you look back on it, I, I don't necessarily know um, that if that if he was doing that right now in 2019, if it would if it would have created as much of a stir. But I, I hope I hope that they uh, that they give him his his microphone, which he really hasn't taken. Um, he's he's stayed behind the scenes, and and who knows? Maybe in a couple of years he can take this this momentum and and this settlement and and what he has meant to the advancement of of social causes. Maybe he's the guy who runs for office here in a couple of years, or or runs to be the. What if he's the player rep in in the NFL? How much would Roger Goodell hate that? Um, that would be pretty interesting, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that they got a settlement out of it. I'm glad they got something. Yeah, I think uh, looking at Colin Kaepernick, uh, what he's done uh, since he's been out of the NFL and looking at his foundation and what uh, the, the great strides uh, that he's made with his foundation, uh, I don't think by any margin this is uh, the last we've heard of Colin Kaepernick. Um, I do hope that there were uh, plenty of commas uh, in that settlement check 
And I can tell you one thing, whatever he has for dinner tonight is going to taste really good. Um, gentlemen, <laughs> pitchers and catchers reported this week. It's officially baseball season. Uh, we still have a few important free agents that are still unsigned. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that and uh, sort of the, uh, the communications role uh, between player agents and, and, and team owners uh, and what sort of uh, might be hindering the signing of a couple of uh, guys uh, that we know and love, <laughs> Bryce Hopper and Manny Machado. Am, am I wrong in saying or thinking that th this is becoming the norm, right? Is this the second or third season that, that this has really become the way things play out? You know, you always have high-profile free agents, but that there's a lot of discussion at the end of the season. There's a lot of speculation. Uh, then there's discussion about precedent that these high-profile signings would have on the, the rest of baseball and then they end up holding out to the very end. And my guess is, is that they're not going to get the number or the length that, that people guessed they would get in October. So I definitely think that uh, how Major League Baseball is talking about these issues is affecting free agency. John, you follow this closer than I do. Uh, I do. And, and I read something this morning, which if it wasn't for Machado and Bryce Harper out there, look at the people who are still free agents, like Dallas Keuchel. Like, I don't know, a guy named Craig Kimbrell, who <laughs> saved the World Series. Um, you, you've got really big names. Marwin Gonzalez from the, from the Houston Astros. You've got gigantic names. And those are the dudes like, who are not getting talked about and are getting even more screwed by this process than Machado and Bryce are. Like, don't, don't anyone out there start playing your violin for, for Bryce and, and Manny. If they have to settle for a one-year deal at, like, 33 mil, I still think they're going to be able to fly down to Hawaii first class and be okay. Like, I'm not, I'm not really worried about their, uh, about their quality of life. But it's a very interesting thing, and it's about three years, to your point, Chris, that I remember Mark Trumbo three years ago. Yeah. Um, entering free agency and think that he was going to cash in and he had to come crawling back to the Orioles because people were just like, Hey, I can wait you out. We we've, there are plenty, there are plenty of talented players out there. And it's really just, it's a business model thing in that the environment is saturated with very skilled people. We have a lot of talented people out here, man. So do you want to be a part of this team or not? The, the people dictating these terms are going to be us, not you player um so i think you see that where for years and years and years agents like scott boris just raked teams over the coals with player-friendly deals that wrecked organizations i'll never forget the deal that mark Teixeira signed with the uh, yankees had that one work out for you guys um it, it's just it's one of these things where i think it's right sizing and these guys might actually be waiting into april um, and then they're going to have to – I guarantee you that both of these guys take one-year deals. That 10-year, $300 million deal, it's John, not out there, I, nor is it coming. John, I want to go on a Tony Kornheiser-like rant, how he goes after James Carville. Like, your phone is terrible. James, what are you doing? <laughs> You're all the way out there in our uh, auxiliary studio in Hawaii. Oh, is my phone not and, good? And I, I feel like you're talking through a coconut. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't control it. I, <laughs> I, I get, again, I'm in Hawaii. I cannot control like the quality of the audio. 
Got it. No, listen, uh, you, what you, you, you do bring up some great points. And I know that while Bryce Harper and Manny Machado uh, are getting the lion's share of the news, there are plenty of other guys that are feeling the brunt of what I feel are owners digging in and saying, hey, look, um, we're just not going to pay you. Chris? I think Harper goes back to the Nationals. I think Machado Agreed. goes to the Phillies. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I think uh, people in D.C. need to just relax, relax a bit. Uh, Bryce Harper is going to be here uh, come opening day. I disagree. I think it's oh, Bryce Harper to San Diego and mm -hmm. Manny to the Chicago White Sox, both on one-year deals. All right. Well, hey, look, uh, pitchers and catchers, like we said, reported this week, and we'll keep our ear to the grindstone uh, and see what comes of it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you for joining us here on Three Season of Pod here with Provision Advisors. We always welcome your feedback, so please leave a comment below. Reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Until next week, folks, be good, be safe, and be better. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.